0: Welcome back to Rebellious History. This is Liz Busquets, and this episode is another one on the role of religion in history. This time, we will explore how religion influenced the conquest and colonization of the New World. In a prior episode, we had discussed the Catholic monarchs and how they were able to defeat and conquer the last Muslim kingdom in the Iberian Peninsula, the Kingdom of Granada, and how they had expelled the Jews and forced the conversion of Jews and Muslims that chose to stay on the peninsula. We also got introduced to the Spanish Inquisition. Then, in our last episode, we discussed the Reformation and the critiques of many of the ceremonies and beliefs that the Catholic Church had taught its followers up to that point. The stage was now all set for the conquests and the early colonization of the New World. By the way, I think it is pretty evident to everyone by now that Columbus was not the first one to discover what we know today as the American continent. The Vikings and possibly other groups ha- may have made it here before Columbus did. However, it was Columbus's voyage which changed the course of history in a major way. It was the voyage that brought Europeans to the New World in large numbers, and many of these Europeans had economic advancement in mind. But if you remember, I also told you that Christianity is an imperialistic religion. So obviously, the Catholic monarchs and the Catholic Church wanted to convert indigenous peoples. This doesn't mean that all the people who actually came to the New World were really interested in spreading God's word. Many used Christianity as a subterfuge and a justification for the things that they did. So when Columbus first landed on the island of San Salvador in the Bahamas and later hopped throughout the Caribbean, his opinion of indigenous people became very clear. It was a very low opinion of the indigenous peoples, who in the Caribbean were mostly Arawak and Taino peoples, he thought of them as prime for enslavement, and indeed the Spanish initially enslaved native groups. There were some rebellions, but disease soon ravaged their population, as I had explained to you before. The European diseases that were brought to the New World in these early stages really decimated many indigenous populations because they were not ready to fight such diseases that were new for them, and they didn't have immunity to them. Columbus was not only brutal with the Tainos, but he was also brutal with Spanish colonies under his command. He would impart terrible punishments for the slightest of infractions. One could argue that he needed to be brutal because otherwise colonists would have taken advantage of the situation and chaos would have ensued. But Columbus definitely went overboard and was eventually demoted by the Catholic monarchs. Of course, friars and priests came to the New World and started the work of conversion, sometimes not so nicely. The Spaniards established the encomienda system, encomienda system, which was a system that they had already used in Spain, but with Muslim vassals. It was also done as a way to reward conquistadors and colonists. The way it worked was that the colonists received the exclusive rights to the use of certain indigenous groups and their labor in a specific location They could be used to work the land, work on mines, and many other things. The indigenous leaders managed all this and they would give the encomendero or colonists their tribute in a form of agricultural products or precious metals, whatever they were producing. So in exchange, the encomendero was supposed to provide Christian instruction and protection, a form of feudalism very similar to the feudalism that was used in Europe before the discovery of the New World. Unfortunately, this encomienda system had devolved into a form of slavery, and Queen Elizabeth I of Castile had to formally announce that these native groups were not to be enslaved, and they were considered free vassals of the crown. However, the abuses continued, and a fray by the name of Bartolomé de las Casas denounced this brutal treatment. He suggested that To avoid abusing the indigenous people, colonies could use instead African slaves. Although he later retracted this, the result was the spread of African slavery throughout the Spanish colonies as well. The issue of whether the so-called Indians were even human beings became a major cause for debate in Spain. In the famous Vallado-led debate in 1550, Las Casas argued that native peoples were human and that enslavement was not justifiable. Another Spaniard by the name of Juan Gines de Sepúlveda argued the opposite. He said that Indians were less than human and that they needed tough Spanish supervision in order to accept and get used to civilization. The result, however, was that Las Casas' opinion prevailed and again enslavement of native peoples became prohibited. While this was all going on, Hernán Cortés and Francisco Pizarro conquered Mexico and Peru. When Cortés got to Mexico, he found that many of the native groups were rather discontent with the Aztec Empire. The chronicles that describe what happened then stated that the Spaniards became horrified when they were invited to the Aztec capital, which was where Mexico City stands today. They were horrified not only by the Aztec worship of all those gods, but also by the human sacrifices. They described the altars as having the stench of blood, flies all over them. So they were horrified by all this. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about the Aztec Empire here. I may do so in a separate episode. But for now, it is sufficient to say that the Aztecs were rather ruthless in the way that they ruled over other subjugated groups in Central America. And they had what they call also the Flower Wars, which were kind of like fixed wars or conflicts in which they would get these captives that they could then sacrifice to their gods. The Spanish also, of course, saw that there was plenty of gold and plenty of silver there, so when they finally decided to attack the Aztecs, they initially failed, and many were killed in what the Spaniards called the noche triste, or sad night. However, they returned, this time accompanied by thousands of indigenous allies that were discontent with the Aztecs. And so, they were able to conquer. Of course, the fact that European diseases had decimated many of these indigenous populations, including many of the Aztecs, also helped the fact that Cortés was able to conquer. Pizarro also was able to conquer the Incas in Peru, with the help of other indigenous groups that were sick and tired of the brutal Inca rule. Unfortunately, these groups sealed their own fate by trusting the Spaniards, who had no plans to really share power with them. So immediately following all these conquests, Friars came in and started to convert the indigenous people. Because indigenous groups were now considered free vassals, but they were also considered innocent because they did not know God yet, the Inquisition was not supposed to deal with any cases dealing with indigenous peoples. That, of course, doesn't mean that church leaders that later positioned themselves in powerful positions in the Spanish colonies treated them well, and did not sometimes seek to force conversions like they had done, of course, with the Jews and the Muslims before. But what happened in the Spanish colonies was that the indigenous and later the African slaves would make their own versions of Christianity, which combined elements of Catholicism and their own belief systems. It's what some historians have called syncretism, Some church leaders at the time accepted this and actually used some of the local customs to teach Christian tenets and stories. Some of the processions that you see today in Latin America that have to do with saints or Catholic ceremonies have some elements that were taken from some of these native belief systems. Others of these leaders, though, came down hard on the indigenous for keeping some of these beliefs. And sometimes they did so to the point of executing some of them. So sometimes, depending on the region and who was actually the leader at the time, who were extremely brutal with indigenous peoples who didn't convert outright and continue to do some worshiping of their gods or practicing some of their customs, while others were a little bit more lenient. So that's enough of Spanish Catholicism for now. The French, also Catholic, came to the New World and established themselves in places like Haiti, and what is now Louisiana and Canada. From Canada, many French explorers moved south to the Great Lakes region and down the Mississippi. The French in North America took a different approach from the Spanish and from the Protestant British as well. They did not force a lot of permanent settlements, and instead dedicated themselves to trading with many of the indigenous groups that they found in those territories. This is why later on, many of these groups would side with the French against the British and the American colonies. The French also worked to convert some of the indigenous people, and one of the major groups that came to do so was the Order of the Jesuits, The Jesuits also had a different approach to conversion based mostly on building small villages for the new converts and in a lot of Christian education. Sometimes, however, they could also be brutal in the way they punished the new converts and sometimes the indigenous groups retaliated. All in all, the French had better relationships with indigenous people than their Spanish Catholic counterparts and the Protestants that came to North America. What did the Protestants do? When the English realized that Spain now had all these territories, they wanted to also get a piece of the pie. They thought that they could also get gold and silver, and also many agricultural products that they could sell in Europe and make a lot of money from. The first group that came to America did so as part of the Virginia Company, which got a charter from the crown to come and colonize. This first group, although made up mostly of Protestants, their main focus was to advance economically, to make money, to compete with the Spanish. It was not conversion. This forwarded what historians call the Spanish Black Legend. So this was done with a lot of British biased propaganda that exaggerated and even invented tales about the things the Spaniards were doing in Spanish America and painted them as barbaric Catholics who were just sadistic and greedy. Mind you, the Spaniards were really not that great. They did indeed commit many abuses, but... They were not much different, really, from what the other groups would do here in America. So anyway, this black legend helped advance the English to push to come to the new world, and the charters that the crown granted for that purpose included clauses about converting the indigenous people, because, of course, the Catholic Church is the Antichrist, and they needed to be able to spread Protestantism, their version of Christianity. However, the British colonies that came to Virginia weren't necessarily focused on conversion, as I said. Most of them were Anglicans or followers of the Church of England. They wanted to colonize and hopefully make money. I'm sure that you all know what a disaster Jamestown was initially. They almost starved because they came with very different notions, unrealistic notions about what life would be like here. For one thing, they did not find any precious metals and they were also initially unsuccessful to deal with the climate and establish successful agriculture. Eventually, they discovered a a native plant that became so important and very valuable. That was tobacco. Tobacco, however, is extremely work-intensive, and they needed a lot of laborers. At first, they relied on indentured servants, who were mostly white Europeans from England, uh, Scotland, and Ireland and they would sign a seven-year contract to do labor in the colonies. In exchange, the person they worked for would take care of them, and when the seven-year contract was over, they would become free, and they were supposed to get some land. Indentured servants were, for the most part, however, treated very badly, almost as bad as slaves. Many died here, not only because of the, all the work that they had to do, but also when there were famines and also of diseases. Those who survived did not get the land that they were promised, and this will be something that will cause a lot of problems later. So what do the plantation owners do when they see all these problems that they were having with indentured servants? they started relying more and more on African slavery. In the meantime, conversion was supposed to happen for indigenous people, but there was not a big concerted effort to do so. The encroachment on the lands used by native groups was plenty of reason for the conflicts that eventually occurred between colonists and native peoples in this area of Virginia. If you remember, also, the Anglican Church or Church of England did not make a lot of changes from those ceremonies and some of those things that the Catholic Church had had because Henry VIII really liked the Catholic Church. He just wanted to be able to divorce. So there were not a lot of extreme changes and reforms in the Anglican Church. Some groups, like the Puritans thought that the Church of England was as decadent as the Catholic Church. They also thought that the end of days was coming soon enough and that England would be doomed because they continued some of the same practices as the Antichrist, which was the Catholic Church. They wanted freedom to worship in the way that they thought was closer to what the Bible says, and we know that in some In some instances, during some periods of time, the Puritans were persecuted for their beliefs. So they also wanted to get the heck out of England, because not only because they wanted freedom of religion, but because, as I said, they thought that England was doomed. Consequently, they requested a charter for the New World, and they got it in 1629. The first one, the first group, came, of course, as you know, in the Mayflower, And I'm sure that you also remember that about the Mayflower Compact, which basically gave a start to a representative government here in the New England colonies. Males could vote for their leaders. Uh, Later on, some Puritan leaders like Winthrop, for example, interpreted that as saying that once they voted for their leaders, then they must obey that leader without question because it was obviously a mandate from God that he would be the leader, therefore he had complete authority. Having a representative government, however, did not mean freedoms, and the Puritans were particularly intolerant of others. They did publicly punish members who broke the rules, and sometimes even exiled people they thought were troublemakers. If you want to look up one of them, for example, that would be Anne Hutchinson, who got exiled out of the colony. I'm sure that irony won't escape the listeners when I tell you that they were extremely intolerant of other religions. They were intolerant not only of Catholics, but also of Baptists, Anglicans, and Quakers. In fact, They even executed some Quakers who came into their territory trying to spread their faith. It was also the Puritans, as you know, who executed and persecuted the so-called witches in New England. So what about converting the indigenous peoples? Well, one must understand one of the main tenets of Puritanism to realize why conversion was not a priority for them. They were Calvinists meaning that they follow some of the beliefs that John Calvin had forwarded. One of the most important of those tenets was that of predestination. This is a belief that some Protestant denominations still follow. So predestination is the idea that God, from the beginning of time, has already chosen who will be saved. Following this notion, early Puritans in New England believed that people with learning and mental disabilities, babies who died before they could understand the Bible, and indigenous people were all going to hell. Eventually, they would change those thoughts about babies, especially, but initially they did not believe that any of these people could be saved. They viewed indigenous peoples as savages, incapable of understanding the Bible and Christianity. Babies who died early were obviously not saved because God had allowed their death before they were even able to read the Bible. People with mental deficiencies who were incapable of understanding the Bible were obviously not saved either. And of course, like I said, this thing about mental deficiencies and the babies was changed later. But this was how they initially interpreted it. Anyway... Because of predestination, conversion of indigenous people was not central to their mission. And the major conflicts that will arise between Puritans and indigenous peoples would be because of the encroachment on the land. So many massacres and armed conflicts occurred in New England because of this, rather than because they were trying to convert the indigenous people. In another colony, Pennsylvania, which William Penn founded, the major religion for quite some time was that of the Quakers. So the Quakers were pacifists and would not participate in wars. They believed in spreading the word. They wore plain clothes. They were also completely opposed to slavery. They were avid abolitionists. In time, the Quakers founded many important institutions, including financial institutions, manufacturing companies, and confectionaries like Cadbury. The Puritans in the North and some of the other Protestant denominations in some of the other colonies were very keen in education, like I explained earlier in, in the last episode. For example, they founded William and Mary and they founded Harvard. So what we have towards the end of the 1600s are three distinct regions in British North America. New England, which was dominated by the Puritans. Then in the middle, you have colonies like Maryland and Pennsylvania, who were much more diverse and more accepting of other people, more tolerant. With Pennsylvania, of course, being very influenced by the Quakers. And then you will have New York, who was a Dutch colony for a while, was also very diverse. Then the Chesapeake region in Virginia, which was populated by Anglicans, but with a focus on economic development and agriculture, rather than a great effort to convert the indigenous people. So what you see, of course, is a big difference then in terms of religion focus between the Spanish and the French and the Protestant denominations that came to the North American colonies. So we'll stop here for now. On the next episode, I'll discuss the first and second Great Awakenings in North America. These are two major religious movements that happened in the 1700s and 1800s respectively and we'll discuss those. Remember to go to the Rebellious History page and give us a like. Also don't hesitate to email me at rebellioushistory at gmail.com if you would like a specific topic or theme discussed. Thanks for tuning in and stay safe.